This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for July 31st, 2020. An update on the Twitter hack, Garmin is attacked, Netgear abandons security updates for some older models, and hacking in TV and movies. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm quite well. We're at the end of another month, and that means that, well, next week is August, isn't it? Wow, that's hard to believe. Yeah. Actually, this Saturday even is August. How did that happen so fast? I know. Time has been very elastic lately, hasn't it? <laughs> I guess it has in some senses, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it seems like it's going really quickly and sometimes really slow. And then we look back and it's really quickly. And as we're looking forward professionally, we're getting close to... We could be just shy of a month away from the release of the new Apple operating systems. Sometimes they do come out early September, um, sometimes not until early October. And of course, it depends for iOS. It depends on when the new iPhone is going to come out. Um, but the Mac isn't necessarily linked to the iPhone. But particularly this year, I don't recall any features that work from one to the other. If you remember some years ago when they introduced um, handoff and continuity features like that. Uh, right. They made sure that all the devices were updated at the same time because the features wouldn't work if you if the devices all weren't on the latest operating system. But I don't think that's going to be the case this year. Well, um, nevertheless, I am definitely looking forward to Big Sur. I think there's uh, a lot of interesting things that are going to be part of that operating system on the Mac. So yeah, it's right around the corner at this point. Yep, we'll have a lot to talk about in the coming weeks as Big Sur gets closer. But now we want to just go back to last week and some information about the great Twitter hack of 2020. We got some new information. I think it was the day we published our last episode. Yeah. Um, so we record on Thursdays and publish on Fridays. And I think that later in the day, Friday, we found out that more than 1,000 people at Twitter had the ability to aid the hack of these Twitter accounts, meaning there are more than 1,000 Twitter employees who have this, I guess we could call it a super user privilege to access and edit accounts. Right. That's what's kind of interesting about this. Um, this was yet another detail that sort of came out after the fact. And Reuters reported on this that um, some ex-Twitter employees said that at least as of earlier this year, as far as they understood, there were at least a thousand Twitter employees that all had that same level of access, that admin console with special privileges, which was the exact thing that the bad guys got a hold of and, uh, you know, how they hacked those 130 Twitter accounts or hijacked them. It's kind of interesting to, to imagine that you, you've got that many employees who just have free access to takeover accounts. Imagine how easy that makes it for the bad guys to find somebody at Twitter that they can extort or bribe, you know, and, and 
get access or even hack. If they hack one of those Twitter thousand Twitter employees, then they can also get access to take over people's accounts. So um, they have a lot of options. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of ways that you can get to those people and take over just about any Twitter account. And remember, most, if not all, Twitter employees are working from home now because of COVID. So as you said, maybe some of these people got hacked or could be hacked. It would be a lot easier to hack into someone's home computer to get access to Twitter than it would be to hack into Twitter's offices or, you know, enter someone's house when they're not there. Um, there are a lot of possibilities. I, I was trying to think, like, what would these thousand employees need this access for? But I'm assuming that there are all sorts of uh, customer service needs when accounts get blocked or hacked and need to be reset, and that this is probably just actually a very basic feature on Twitter. I think the problem is that they probably have to have multiple tiers. Like the first tier is is average users. The next tier is verified users. And the third tier should be the sort of really important verified users with, um, let's say, more than a half million or a million followers. And normal employees shouldn't have access to those people with lots of followers because you know that those are the accounts that are going to be targeted. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Um, that That is a a very standard um, security principle when you're running a business. You want to make sure that you give uh, only the right access to the right employees. Um, so depending on what job that they have or uh, or what kinds of customers they're going to be working with. So it really probably doesn't make sense for a thousand Twitter employees to have full access to all Twitter users accounts. Um, and, and there probably should be different tiers set up. And, and so maybe that's something that Twitter will do behind the scenes. One would hope that they're thinking about these things and getting ready to implement a better strategy to, um, you know, avoid this kind of thing happening again. Okay, in other news, and this isn't Mac news, but this is a sort of global problem that everyone needs to be aware of. Um, Garmin was hit with a ransomware attack. Garmin makes, well, they make watches for running. They make GPS devices. They make, I think they make navigational devices for boats as well. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. They're, I I'd still think of them as a navigation technology company. You know, uh, it used to be when you said, I have a Garmin, it was, you know, I have a dash-mounted GPS in my car, you know. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So my son uses a Garmin watch to track his running. And so for me, a Garmin is just a watch that you use if you don't want an Apple watch. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're, they are a wearable tech company now as well. So, yeah. So they got hit by a ransomware attack. And is it possible that they actually paid $10 million in ransom? Well, that's uh, the interesting speculation that's going on. So um, this this all kind of happened late last week. It kind of went on throughout the weekend. There were a whole bunch of Garmin services that were offline. Their website was offline. Uh, several of their online services were down. And reportedly, even their production lines, they weren't even like producing products because of this ransomware attack. And uh, and then they finally issued a statement on Monday and said that there um, they they did specify there was no indication that any customer data was accessed. That was one thing that a lot of people were worried about. Was oh wait, GPS company right? Like, does that mean that 
somebody got access to where people were located, you know, who were using Garmin products. Um, and according to Garmin, there's no indication that any customer data was accessed. So that sounds okay. But they didn't say it, they actually didn't call it ra- a ransomware attack anywhere in this press release. They said it was a cyber attack. Yeah, they called it a cyber attack, and they said something about um, everything being encrypted, you know, on certain systems that things were encrypted, but they didn't go so far as to say that there was a ransom that was demanded. But according to, you know, employees at Garmin, they were told internally that it was ransomware. And so um, the the fact that they're not using that term in the press release kind of makes one wonder, okay, are they trying to avoid getting questions like, well, did you pay the ransom that they, you know, probably should expect that uh, news outlets are going to ask them if they say the word ransomware. So um, it's reportedly it was a $10 million ransom that was being demanded. And so they might've just paid it. And I, I wonder if they would even have to report it because $10 million sounds like a lot of money to you and me, but to a big company like Garmin, 10 million, you know, might not really be that much money. And, uh, you know, is that a miscellaneous expense that they can go without having to report? I don't know. Well, there are publicly traded companies. So there are certain rules about things like that in, in, in financial filings that they have to issue, but we don't know if this is something specific this sort of expense would need to be reported. Um, no more than when companies' executives are kidnapped and ransoms are paid to get them back, which is apparently quite common in, in Latin America, they don't have to report that either. But so we were talking before the show, what's interesting about this is is to talk about ransomware. And ransomware essentially locks files on a computer. It, your computer is allowed to run, but your files are encrypted and you can only get them back if you pay the money. Hence the need to have good backups, multiple backups, versioned backups. So, you know, backups every day, every week, et cetera. Including off-site backups, um, cold storage. In other words, it's not constantly connected to the network. And so even if something on your computer does get encrypted, and let's say that you have a cloud backup service and it's backing up all your files constantly, you want to make sure that um, you can access older versions. And But it's also a good idea to have um, a, a completely offline backup. So n- you're not relying on any particular system to not overwrite your your good backups. Uh, like what one solution for something like this would be uh, to burn a, a DVD. If, if people still have DVD drives, a, a DVD <laughs> or multiple one DVDs DVD? probably, uh, or to put a flash drive in your computer. Uh, that probably is more practical these days. Cause we don't typically have uh, DVD <laughs> drives on our computers anymore. But, uh, you know, a flash drive or an external hard drive, you could plug it into your computer, back up any files that are really important, and then leave that flash drive or external drive someplace offsite, not at your home, uh, where it's going to be safe in case of a fire or, or a burglary or some other thing like that happening. Okay. Um, in other news, if you own one of these 45 Netgear devices, replace it. The company will not patch vulnerable gear despite live proof of concept code. So this is on the register, which always has these intriguing uh, headlines for their <laughs> articles. There's an issue, and some of them are too old to be 
um, updated. And it makes me think of the Sonos issue that we talked about some months back that they were too old to be, you know, updated to the new software. The problem is here that they're vulnerable. And if you have these and you're using these routers or other devices, you really shouldn't use them anymore. You should get rid of them. Exactly. Right. And I think that's why Netgear is specifically calling out these devices in their latest advisory. They're telling people, yes, these devices are vulnerable, but no, you're not going to get any updates for them. Now, one could argue that, well, yeah, but if a lot of people are still using these devices, don't you have some sort of like ethical responsibility to make sure that the internet is safe and that all these users who bought your products are safe from these attacks? And I guess it's it's the same kind of thing that we talk about occasionally about, um, you know, Apple and Microsoft and other companies that they have to draw the line at some point and decide, OK, well, um, what what's the fine line that we need to walk here? Um, we have we know we still have people using Windows XP in the world and even Windows 7, which is not uh, getting updates anymore. We know that there are still people who are running, you know, Mac OS High Sierra or even Sierra or older versions. Um, but, yeah, you know, at some point we've just got to say we're not going to update those anymore because it costs so much money for us to sort of backport all these fixes to previous uh, operating systems, or in the case of a hardware manufacturer like Netgear, um, you know, they would have to develop these patches for firmware for all these really old devices. Um, and, and it's possible that they can't even fix the devices for some of these things like the Spectre and Meltdown vulnerabilities we've talked about in recent years. Uh, these could be vulnerabilities on the chips that can't be fixed. And maybe, Maybe firmware can patch a vulnerability to get around it. So for some of these devices, they may not have enough NVRAM storage to put the firmware on, which means that they really literally cannot update them. Yeah, and I don't know if that's the particular case here with any of these Netgear vulnerabilities, but we do see that from time to time with with hardware devices where it's, you know, there's no practical way to patch it. In fact, um, I, I think even sometimes with uh, Mac OS updates, for example, um, you'll notice if you look really closely at the advisories, whenever Apple releases a security update for Mac OS, um, they release an update for the current version and two previous versions, but often they will not actually release updates for um, either the one previous or two previous versions of Mac OS for certain vulnerabilities. Sometimes it's even uh, open source software and there's not really any good excuse for them to not do that other than, well, we don't really want to put in the time or, you know, uh, it would be too big of an update. Uh, to go from this version of the open source software to this much newer version. Uh, they they may have a variety of reasons why they don't, but it is important to know that for both software and hardware, you pretty much need to stay on the latest version if you want to get all the security updates. Um, and when it comes to something like your router, whether it's Netgear or any other brand, it's very important to make sure that your device is still supported by the manufacturer. We've mentioned this before, and it's worth mentioning again here. Uh, if you've uh, got a Netgear device, make sure to take a look at this list and make sure your device is not on the <laughs> hotfix not going to be released list. So this makes me think of something very quickly. Um, I have a Fujitsu scan snap. It's a little scanner that you can put, I think, up to 20 pages in. Um, it makes PDFs. It OCRs them. It's an amazing device. I bought this in late 2012. 
Um, and about a year ago, Fujitsu said they weren't going to update the software for 64-bit. So the software for this device was really good, but then they came out with new software that really wasn't good. Um, and a lot of people, I have a friend who's kept a virtual machine with um, Mac OS Mojave to be able to use his. And so they just announced recently that they were going to come out with a 64-bit version of the software because there were so many customers who complained about it. So there's no reason why they couldn't do this other than financial. This is the software. This isn't firmware on the device. Uh, but it's interesting that sometimes companies can be pressured into making these changes, even though they initially refuse to do so. Well, yeah, that's that's actually really true. Um, again, in the case of Windows, um, that's happened a couple of times where there were enough people still using Windows XP or Windows 7 that even after Microsoft's cutoff date where they said, we will not release any more updates after this day, um, they kind of just had to go back on it and, and say, okay, fine, we'll release a couple more updates. Wasn't one of those updates, maybe an urban legend, because Vladimir Putin uses a certain old version <laughs> of Windows? I'm pretty sure we talked about it on the podcast a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that there were rumors about that at the time. But, uh, you know, I, it, I don't think there was probably any one particular user that they were most concerned about. I think, um, you know, Microsoft actually, interestingly, does make uh, these patches available to paying customers like enterprise customers who pay for a specific, uh, extension on, uh, on these security updates. So that, in fact, that's a whole other, like kind of area of questionable ethics is like, is it okay that Microsoft actually does still make these patches, but doesn't make them available to all the, you know, consumers who are still using them? They only offer these patches. They're making them. They're already putting money into the development of these patches, but they don't make it available to consumers. That's crazy. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how computer security is depicted in movies and TV shows. You already know that Intego loves Macs. After all, Intego has been making world-class Mac security software since 1997. But did you know that Intego Antivirus is also available for Microsoft Windows? If you've got Windows running on your Mac, either in Boot Camp or in a virtual machine like Parallels, VMware, or VirtualBox, make sure to protect it from malware just like you protect macOS with Intego Security Software. Intego Antivirus for Windows is also a great solution for your friends and family members with Windows PCs. Download a free trial of Intego Antivirus for Windows today, and when you're ready to buy, use the link in the show notes for a special discount. Don't use Windows? Don't worry, we've still got a great deal for you. First-time buyers of Mac Premium Bundle X9 can get Intego's powerful Mac security and utility suite at an incredible 40% savings by using coupon code PODCAST20 at checkout. Intego, makers of the best protection software for Mac, and now for Windows, too. Okay, movies and TV. You've all seen the movies and the TV shows where the hackers are there and they're hacking away and funny things happen. And sometimes it's really magical. I had an idea to talk about this a few weeks ago because one weekend I watched two movies, uh, both of which played around with computer security. One of them was called The Good Liar with Ian McKellen and Helen Mirren. It's a con man movie and a con woman movie. And there's one point where they're agreeing to put their money into some joint account, like a total of six and a half million pounds. 
and they need an easy-to-remember password. And so Helen Mirren looks at this painting on the wall and says, let's use that. And Ian McKellen looks at it and doesn't understand. Lilies, we'll use the word lilies, and a six-character password, lowercase letters only, to protect six and a half million. Now, it has to be said that they had these funny little tablet devices that apparently were given by the bank in the Cayman Islands. The whole thing was suspicious. The other one was a movie called Focus, uh, Will Smith and Margot Robbie. It's another con artist film. And there's a moment when Will Smith gives Margot Robbie a necklace, and she doesn't know that there's a secret device in it. And she takes it into the hotel room where her boyfriend's computer gets hacked, even though he's got this some advanced hardware dongle that changes his password every 15 minutes. And so Smith's character is able to access this really secret racing car data on the computer and so both of these made me think that, like, it's just ridiculous. It's just really ridiculous what they do in movies and TV. But the idea of suggesting that a six-character lowercase letters-only password can protect six and a half million pounds gets into people's minds, and they don't really realize how weak that is. Yeah, I think uh, that one is even more problematic because with the the Will Smith movie, um, that's uh, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that, like, I mean – Nobody really has to worry about someone dropping a necklace in, you know, in your bag and getting into your hotel room and now they can hack your computer. It doesn't really work like that. I mean, there are some really clever, you know, attacks that have been developed by the NSA and other, you know, spy organizations. But, you know, generally, you really don't need to worry about stuff like that. Um, but when it comes to that short password, that, you know, all lowercase six character password, that worries me a little bit more when that kind of stuff happens in movies. Because as you say, it's not like overtly, they're not telling people, by the way, make sure you protect everything with a six character password. But it's the kind of thing that like can kind of get into your subconscious, you know, and you don't, you may not really realize it, but they're kind of instructing people on bad security habits. Yeah, that, that's one of the problems in movies. I mean, what's more ridiculous in movies is the way they depict hackers actually working. So we've got an article on the Intego Max security blog, and we've embedded some YouTube videos for some of the really ridiculous scenes. And um, one of the ones that I like is there's movies where there's people hacking things, movies, TV shows, um, and you always see some sort of progress bar as if you can tell the progress of your hack. And this comes from the TV series Castle, and they're breaching a number of firewalls. And each one, you get the progress. You got this nice dialogue, says alert log, rat synced to main server, firewall one, breach, firewall two. And, and the percentages are increasing. Um, sometimes these are progress bars. Sometimes these are percentages. But you... I mean, hacking is like a black and white thing. When you get in, you get in. There's not like a time to – you're not drilling a hole in the firewall. Right, exactly. It's not like, okay, well, I know that I'm you know, 85% of the way through this attack. It doesn't it really work like that at all. It's like generally a, a lot of times with these kind of attacks, it's just um, – you know, you issue a command and, oh, okay, I'm in. Like, it's there, there's not any length of time and it's not like you're breaking some encryption algorithm or something and you know exactly how much time is left. It doesn't really work like that. Now, this particular scene in Castle, by the way, um, I think it, it's very clearly meant to be humorous. And so I think that the people who wrote this scene were probably just throwing in like every imaginable hacking trope that they could think of. And yeah. uh, for the purpose of comedic effect. 
So one thing that we actually couldn't find a video for is a, a trope that's called the password slot machine. You've seen this. I remember on 24, they used to have this all the time, where it would be like an eight-character password, and you'd see that they'd crack the first character, and then the second one, and then the third one, and it just doesn't work like that. It's like the password is a unit. It's not, it's not stored in one amount of information per character. It's stored the whole thing together. Right, exactly. I I remember this being in like a bank vault, you know, a digital bank vault scene where they're cracking it. I think it was one of the Die Hard movies, right? Uh, Die Hard three with the bank vault, I think. Yeah, and I I think you're right. I think twenty four had a had a scene like this too, um, where the one character they got some device that they they have with them and they stick it next to this digital lock, and then it it cycles through, you know, the first character. Oh, okay, we cracked the first one, and and then. It's <laughs> starts so the, the, the the counter starts going on the second character okay yeah we got the second one but the, but as you say like this it, this is not how these things work because when it comes to uh, pins or passwords if if they're actually storing it one character at a time they're doing something very wrong <laughs> because this is not how passwords and pins are supposed to work you're supposed to be able to have the entire thing um, be the only valid way, like you have to put in all characters in order for, for that password to be valid. And, it, and, and there's no, it's, it's literally impossible to break it one at a time because that's just not how passwords are, are stored or the representation is stored. In movies and on TV, they often use that with a countdown, like time. Okay, you've got three out of six characters. Come on, we're running out of time. We've only got 30 seconds. One more character to go, and they get it with just two seconds to go, and then Jack Bauer saves the world. Yeah, or James Bond. I'm pretty sure this was in at least one Bond movie as well. Yeah. So one that you really like is the one from Independence Day when Jeff Goldblum's character uploads a virus to the alien ship. Oh yeah. yeah, I really like this because Jeff Goldblum is using a PowerBook. He's using a Mac laptop, and uh, of course, it only makes sense that the advanced alien race is going to be using Macs or at least Mac compatible and not Windows. computers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why would they be using Windows? Come on. So um, yeah, this this is one of those funny things that uh, it really doesn't make sense if you take the time to analyze it. But it made for an interesting plot device that you know Jeff Goldblum's character is the like hacker guy and he figured out that he could breach their incredibly powerful shield slash firewall things um, just by uploading a virus so he wrote this virus and uploaded it to them but of course he does this from his power book because you know they're the best computers on earth right at the time yeah Um, so another thing that they do is they try to make the computer screen look like there's a lot going on. And, and the Matrix is the best example with those characters coming down. No one could ever read those characters. It's ridiculous. Um, one thing they often do, though, is they often show a lot of source code. Source code is not what you see in when you're hacking something. You, if you're familiar with command line interfaces and terminal, you know that you get output. And it might be a list of disks. It might be a list of files and folders. But it's never source code. Um, sometimes, however, you get all these screens that show up one after another. And we've got a clip from NCIS where a bunch of people are sitting around a screen and I think the firewall is breached. And there's like a million little screens that keep popping up on the screen on the computer screen and it's like what's going on what do we do and of course 
one character comes along and resolves the problem quite quickly, but we won't spoil it for you. Yeah, yeah, it's worth watching. And again, once again, this is another one of those scenes where I think it's intended to be funny. And so they're kind of sticking in a lot of interesting, you know, humorous tropes. Um, now, some of these other scenes, though, are, you know, not really intended to be humorous. And uh, for example, in the James Bond Skyfall movie, there's this uh, interesting, like, cinematic, like, uh, incredible thing that's up on this big display where uh, they're, they're watching this unfold. Uh, you could probably describe it better than I could, Kirk. Well, it's a sort of a multidimensional thing where you're seeing all these lines linking things. And then you see some hexadecimal codes, and they line up the columns in the hexadecimal code, and it spells Granborough. Oh, that's now, right. Yeah, yeah. In, in hexadecimal, I think it only goes A to H, so you can't have an R or an O. And then the thing kind of morphs in three dimensions into um, a map of the London uh, underground system. It visually is quite striking when you consider that it is meant more – as a as a device, it's not meant to be realistic, and it's it is among the more striking things that we've seen in this sort of movie. But then again, it's the big budget um, James Bond movie that has to be spectacular like that. Yeah, and it is fascinating to watch. And so, although it's not realistic, it does make for a much more interesting movie. Yeah. Um, so we also included a video by a security researcher named Sammy Kamkar. I think I'm pronouncing that mm -hmm. correctly. And he looks at 26 hacking scenes from different movies and TV shows. And he points out the ones that are correct and the ones that are incorrect. And I guess for some of us, it's not really that important to know what's correct and what's incorrect. Um, as we said early on, it's bad when they suggest bad habits to people like short passwords or other sorts of, you know, unreliable security. I find it interesting that we're in a, a world where computers are so omnipresent and so important and that movie and TV show writers still get so many things wrong voluntarily. Whereas, I don't know, if you were making a Star Wars movie and you had a slightly wrong color on the belt of one of the characters, you would have fans going crazy about it. Right. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and of course, in this uh, video where Sammy Kamkar is pointing out the good and the bad, um, there are some really notable uh, shows where they are taking the time to consult with experts and really do some realistic hacking. And uh, uh, one example of that one television show that's uh, very popular is Mr. Robot. And uh, that's that's the one, of course, that's on the thumbnail when you're looking at uh, at, at this video. Uh, Mr. Robot actually does have hacker consultants and they really do try to get all these things right. Um, and so that's one show where uh, where they've really taken a lot of effort um, to to make it as accurate and realistic as possible. The thing is, hacking in general is boring. <laughs> Generally, it doesn't make for good movies and TV shows. Right. There's a lot of sitting around waiting. There's a lot of trial and error. Um, so to make a movie or a TV show with hackers, you either just truncate everything or you just make it up. <laughs> right. And, of course, for entertainment value, that's why a lot of this stuff is just made up. Yeah, but when you look at the Star Wars movies, like everything has to be so precise, right? <laughs> Um, it, it's kind of, so the, the difference with James Bond and some of these TV shows is budget, obviously. So they make something that's more visually interesting and it's similar with Star Wars, but a lot of the cheap TV shows, they just have to do something really quick because, you know, they're filming an episode a week or whatever. 
um, and they just don't have the knowledge. You should get a job in Hollywood. You're not far <laughs> from Hollywood. You should be a movie hacking consultant. That would be a good career path for you, I think. Sure. Maybe when I'm retired, I'll, I'll become a, <laughs> a hacking consultant for movies and television. Why not? Okay, Josh. Until next week, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>